Over the past year, I've seen my caseload make dramatic changes. My clients almost never ghost me, stay for more sessions, and overall seem to get more out of therapy. This is a huge change for me because, quite honestly, I used to be a bad therapist. People will never tell this to me to my face, but the proof was in the pudding. My clients wouldn't come back. I've done several things which have made me a better therapist, but I believe the greatest change is due to using deliberate practice to really fine-tune how I meet clients where they are. Over the past year, I've logged over 100 deliberate practice sessions. And at the end of each session, I wrote up a brief reflection and sent it to Dr. Tony Rumanier, the father of deliberate practice in therapy. When I first got started, he'd mentored me, and I kept him in the loop about my practice ever since. He's the one who taught me almost everything I know about how to actually deliberately practice therapy micro skills so I can become a better therapist. So when Tony asked me to present my thoughts on deliberate practice and how to use it to help more clients, well, I couldn't pass it up. What follows is the webinar, A Deliberate Practice Hero, where I talk all about what I've learned about deliberate practice and how to help clients better. I hope this serves you. Without further ado, the webinar. All right, welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Tony Rumanier with the Sensio uh, Counseling Center, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Jordan Harris, who is a deliberate practice hero. That is an official term that is defined by doing 100 or more uh, solitary individual deliberate practice sessions. Uh, official as of today <laughs> is the the first uh, thus uh, thus designated, um, and I uh, I know this because Jordan has been uh, periodically emailing me. It started like a year ago, Jordan, right? I think it was a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago, started emailing him his diary form. Or he started emailing me his diary forms. And it was like, do you have any feedback on this? You know, that kind of thing. And I was like, I'd love to look at them. You know, I'm, you know, I'm fairly busy, so I can't like give it a lot of comments. And, and then Jordan, you just kept sending them as kind of an accountability yeah. procedure, right? It was a total self-accountability. I think even after like the first, I don't know, few I sent you, because uh, he was, first of all, Tony was gracious enough to give me some free coaching, which was like the gift of a lifetime. I mean, such a beautiful gift. Um, and after that, I wanted to keep going, but for my own personal accountability, it was just helpful just to keep sending them in. It just sort of helped. Um, so it was really motivating for me just to do that. And then also just to see the sort of trend, the, the like chain, you know, cause I don't know if you, I'm sure Tony after a while gets like annoyed cause it's like, you know, it's like a hundred plus emails of like DP diary. Yeah. You got to scroll all the way down, but something about that just helps me to stay motivated. So yeah, that's, that was total self-motivation. So about, it was a month or two ago, Jordan, you hit a hundred and I, you know, I was like, you know, you know, people really could probably benefit learning from you. I mean, this is, you know, having gone around talking about deliberate practice for a few years now, I've found this is arguably one of, if not the biggest challenges 
yeah. in deliver practice. And I know there are folks here on this call who, who know this, um, that uh, finding the time, the energy, the motivation to continue with deliver practice, yeah. uh, you know, week after week after week is not easy. It can be a significant hurdle. And so I thought it'd be really inspiring for all of us to learn from you just, you know, what you've done, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. And so everyone knows uh, Jordan provided a few uh, DP diary forms for us to go through just as examples of what he's been doing. But I think, Jordan, you wanted to start today with uh, just describe, well, first of all, Jordan, can you just describe the work you do, at, you know, as a therapist and, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah. So that's been in a big flux. I think, well, when we met, I uh, was in group practice and also working at a university here in the States. And then since then, uh, I have stopped doing that work at the university. And I've also left that group practice. So for the past, since May, May or June, I've been in solo practice, which has been great. Um, and so that's what I'm doing now is mostly solo practice. And then, you know, I've also been doing some, I've been giving some uh, deliberate practice trainings and blogging about deliberate practice for, for therapists. So that's where, that's really where my energy is sort of going now. Great. Great. Um, and let's see, you wanted to start with why uh, you do this. Yeah. Right? Why don't we start there? Yeah. So like, you know, there's like the big backstory, then there's like the sort of micros backstory. The big backstory is, I didn't know this, but I wanted, I'm sure you guys know Alex Vosh. I wanted to be Alex Vosh. Like, I really wanted to be Alex. We all I did. wanted to be the world. Yeah, we all did, right? I wanted to be the world's greatest therapist. And I was not lucky enough to luck to like sort of stumble into deliberate practice. So I did the thing that we all do. You know, you go to the trainings, you learn different models. Um, and I went and got a PhD. And uh, it wasn't like I could tell I wasn't on the right path. And so after that, what I did was I jumped into learning about how we learn. I thought maybe meta learning would be like the way to go. And that led me to eventually the work of people like Scott Miller, right? Uh, he sort of popularized a lot of this stuff. Um, the work of Gary Klein, who I think is sort of underrated in our field. Uh, he's also a big person talking about how we learn and develop expertise. Anders Ericsson, of course, and then uh, finally Tony, right? So that was sort of like the impetus. Um, but the... The other side of that was I was getting burnt out with clients and I didn't, I wanted something that was way more actionable. I feel like sometimes when I went to trainings in the, in the past, it's, it was very nebulous, you know, go and empathize with your clients, go in build alliance with, with your clients, go and do this. And it's just like, okay. And when I stumbled into the deliver practice, the, the, the deliver practice stuff, I realized, oh, wait, like there's actually a process for this, right? Like I stumbled recently onto the work of uh, Jeremy Safran, I believe, talks about repairing alliance ruptures, right? Like, oh, wait, there's a process for this <laughs> and you can almost codify it. And so at the point, at that point, I realized, 
one, I have limited time. I have three kids. Um, two, in order for me to stay engaged in this field, I need something concrete. Uh, and then three, I wanted something that was actionable. So between the time crunch and my own burnout, I wanted something that was actionable. That sort of set me on this path of doing these uh, you right. know, 100 deliver practice sessions or whatever. I think it's 126 I'm up, I'm up to now or something right. like, like right. that. Okay, great. So it's kind of a very practical, uh, very practical. rationale goal. Yeah. And maybe you could just describe, you know, briefly what you did, what you have been doing. And then we could show some examples of your diary forms. Yeah. Something that really stands out to me is you don't do these huge practice sessions. No. Which I did at the beginning. And now I look back on was a big mistake. Like you do kind of small chunks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I do... This is what you like, what, like what my process is, right? What I do is every day that I see clients and mind you, this is before I started my own practice, starting my own practice has been a lot of, I mean, it's just been a lot of other stuff, right? Taxes and billing and all the other stuff. So I've had less time, but uh, I've been, I've still been doing some, some of this, but every day that I see clients, I do 10 minutes of deliberate practice. And I got that tip from Wesley Little, who I'm sure you've been, some of you have been, um, in circles with her, right? And it struck me because it was enough, like I knew I could do that. And um, as someone who also, you know, my sort of birth in this field was looking um, not at the deliberate practice stuff for therapists, but more looking at across different fields, how do people train? Um, what I realized was that for a lot of athletes, they are low intensity, but high reps. Mm-hmm. And so I just figured for myself from a principal sort of standpoint, if I can do three sessions a week for 10 minutes a piece for the next 30 years, at the end of the, at the end of that, I'll be like, you know, an amazing therapist. <laughs> you know, like, so, so, and also with three kids, like I don't have time to, yeah, you know, spend an hour a day. My wife yeah. would probably sleep and, yeah. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So that was, that's my process. Um, and then I picked what I picked. So I actually was a really bad therapist. Like people don't believe that because I write a lot of my expertise. Uh, but I was like a really bad therapist. Uh, and I've seen my metrics improve, but because I was a really bad therapist, what I decided was I'm only going to, I'm going to hyper-focus on the therapeutic alliance. That's the thing. So I've been practicing skills that feed everything through that sort of lens. And then I've also restructured the way I do therapy in order to meet that lens. But so that's my, the goal is to improve my therapeutic alliance. And the way I'm doing that is 10 minutes a day, uh, every day that I see clients, which is about three to four days a week. And, and so also if anyone has any questions, feel free to throw them in the chat. We can take your questions, but uh, Jordan, you say you've seen your metrics improve. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so like, I almost didn't, this is like a story. I probably should write about this. I, um, so in my mind, there's a bunch of different metrics that we can look at. And I'm sure like many of you have used the SRS and the ORS. I've used the OQ45. Um, but one of the big metrics is client dropout, especially first client, first session dropout. Right. And I almost didn't graduate my, my grad program. 
my dropout rate, my dropout rate was so high that I couldn't get hours. And uh, now, when I checked it earlier this year, my first dropout typically occurs around session three. Hmm. So if I get a first, if I get a client who comes in for the first session, right? Like very rarely do they not come back right. for at least two more sessions. Right. And then I have a cluster around five. So my, I'll right. get like one around three. I have a cluster right. around five, and then I'll have right. some, you know, that trickle out after that. Right. Um, so that's been one big metric. The other big metric, which I read about from Daryl Chow, right, is joint terminations. Mm. He's got a dissertation. He talks about joint terminations. And for the first time, I think in the past year, I have started to have joint terminations. I didn't have them at all before. Uh-huh. Right. So that's also been like, it is not uncommon for me now to have a joint termination, whereas before it never happens. What is, um, I think there's a question. Yeah, what is a joint termination? So Daryl Child, he wrote a book called Better Results. It's probably the best way to get into this, but he also has his, his, his dissertation is on, um, I forget what it, what it is. Tony probably knows, but it's talking about what we know. Exactly. Yeah, but it's talking about um, like outcome metrics for highly effective therapists. And what he found was, is that when you have a client initiated joint termination, it is a significant predictor of like success in like therapy. So basically when your clients say, hey, uh, David, we've been working together for a long time. I've really enjoyed this. I feel like we're getting to the point where I'm almost done. What do you think? And then you can say back to your client, well, you know, I think you're doing well. Uh, why don't we do a session two weeks from now? And then we'll do, and if things are going well, we'll set up a termination session and then we'll be done. That, that sort of, pro, that thing, right? Instead of clients who, and so it's, it's tricky for two reasons. The first reason is you want client-initiated joint terminations. So the opposite of that is therapist-initiated joint terminations. So that's when you say, like I said to my clients, seem like you're doing really well. I don't think you need me anymore. And then, you know, usually in my experience, they flip out and they're like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then there be fault for So that was what happened to me before. Um, or client dropouts where they just ghost you and you don't know why they win and they're just gone for, you know, whatever reason. Thanks. So, no. Great. Um, and how did you, so that's how you picked the, uh, skill focus is mm-hmm. on the relationship. Now, of course, we all know the therapeutic relationship is a broad, uh, you know, variable to say the least. How would you pick a skill focus within uh, the therapeutic relationship? Yeah. Um, so I think full disclosure, I also structured the way that I do therapy. So that changed things as well. But okay. for the skill side of it, right? I really doubled down on all of the active listening skills. Mm. Um, the ones that I do when the client is speaking. So things like minimal encouragers, tone of voice, mm-hmm. right? And then also the ones that I do when it's my turn to speak. So mm. open-ended questions. So really f- for me, the, the bedrock of any good therapy practice is motivational interviewing. Mm. Not necessarily because it's like a supermodel, but because they really clarify, these are the four main skills when it comes to listening. And this is how you do it. 
so their their four score their four skills are their ors right open ended questions affirmations reflections and summaries that's the bedrock and then I threw in minimal encouragers um, and then after I practiced those for a long time I moved to the EFT skills right which is all about empathy and validation um, so that's like where I I mean that's the majority of where I stayed is in those two sets of skills. And would you repeat skills, multiple deliver practice sessions? Oh, for sure. For sure. Especially when I felt uncomfortable, you know, if you've had the opportunity, we have a series of books, right? And the books uh, progress you through skill difficulty. So when I would get to, you know, the advanced skills and the advanced difficulty of the skills, I would just repeat those until I felt like they weren't, until I felt like I had a level of fluid fluency. Hey, how um, long would that take? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I think on average, if I'm just sort of thinking about it, I might spend one week on a skill. So four sessions. Four and typically the, the, the early, easy skills you can sort of run through really quickly. Yeah. But it's the advanced skills that we wanted to that would trick, that would really trip me up. Yeah. So then you just stay on those and you just do it again and you do it again and do it again. Do it again. Yeah. What did you do for uh, difficulty assessments? Like, would you kind of stop and think about how hard it was or uh, how did you handle that? Um, yeah. So I was lucky. I mean, part of our training, part of how we trained me, Tony, was initially on person of the therapist work, right? DP for person of the, of the therapist, which is not something that I feel like is being taught right now. Because it's hard to teach. It's hard. It's really hard to like teach. Yeah, we've we've um, actually backed off that for, at least for beginning trainee. I mean, you're not yeah. a beginning trainee, so you know it's different. But I, but that's another that's another story. Yeah. So, uh, I would if I felt something for myself, I would train. I would just train that one skill again and again and again and again. And for me, yeah. I know the repetition makes the makes it become lower. But if it really invoked something for yeah. for me, yeah. then I would do the DP for a person of the therapist stuff. Okay, uh, and that I found to be really powerful. Like I almost wish I could make clients do that process because there's something about that that is like okay. something weird happens <laughs> that you get a change, and so I want that for my clients. And so it's like this is a weird thing, but it's really cool. So can you describe what that looks like? So when you do person of the therapist work, and Tony's very correct this is i think an advanced skill you uh get your prompt right so if you have a video clip of a client who is an issue for you or if you have a prompt uh in one of the books that's an issue for you you put that up on the screen that's, that's what i do and then i speak my sort of like free associate my response and usually what happens for me is something hits so I'll be talking, I'll be working on a prompt about suicidality and it'll just throw me, right? And I'll say, I'm really angry right now. I don't know why I'm angry. I'm angry because I feel like I'm going to cry. I don't want to cry. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. Right. Actually, I'm really angry at you because I'm really freaking scared because I don't want you to kill yourself. And usually something shifts at that point right. and I can keep speaking that right. um, and come to a place of some sort of resolution. Um, and that's been enough for me. I mean, I think if it was something else, right. you know, if it was even more personal or maybe something related to race or something like maybe I wouldn't be able to, to do right. that. But for, for me, for the prompts, that's been enough to get shifts. For the prompts. 
Yeah. And, for the and problems so, and, and with client issues. I've client issues too. Recorded clients and yeah, done done that as well. So it it sounds like there's kind of two levels. You kind of start at the interpersonal doing the exercises out of the books, mm-hmm. which you know, which is fairly simple logistically. Right. right. You're just reading the things out of the books. And would you look at the sample answers, answers, so to speak, at the at the yeah. So to get into the, the nuts and bolts of I I bring it, I have the PDF on my computer and I run through, through the first five mm-hmm. and just see how's my fluency with mm-hmm. with these and I record myself. Mm-hmm. So then I watch my recording and I compare my recording to to the answers at the end, at the back of the book. And I'm not trying to see if I got it right. I'm trying to see that I'm, did, did my response match the skill criteria? Okay. And is there something that I don't understand about the skill criteria? Hmm. So for instance, I found out that I had done a lot of EFT training. So a lot of my reflections when I was doing motivational interviewing were, um, like emotion-based, which is not anti-motivational interviewing. But if you look at their responses, their responses are much more like values-based and sometimes mm-hmm. action-based. Mm-hmm. So if, a, if, if, the, if the prompt says, it's really hard for me to stop smoking, or let me give you a better, if, if, if it says something like, um, I really want, I really want to, to stop smoking, from an EFT standpoint, you might validate. It's really hard. Like you're, this, is, this, is a, this is a really big struggle for you. But from a MI standpoint, you might, you might reflect by saying something like, this is really important to you that, that you stop. Right. And it's just a different conversation. Yeah. So, but it's not necessarily not an MI, an MI skill. So by having the actual prompts, you could really, for me, I could really discern, is this hitting the skill, the skill criteria right. for this skill? Right. Uh, and so having my responses recorded, being able to just compare the two really helped right. see the difference. So that's really interesting. Uh, I haven't heard of that before, kind of recording yourself responding to the prompts and then looking at them side by side with the sample responses and the scale yeah. criteria. So I, I I would be tempted now, if you're okay with it, Jordan, to share uh, a few of your sample diary forms just yeah. so people can kind of see... Um, so let me let me pull one up here. I'm going to share my screen. Now, uh, can folks tell me is that big enough, or should I zoom in more? If you want me to zoom in, please put it in. Say zoom in in the chat, and I can zoom in more. Um, and so this is the the diary form. We've got this for free on our website. Everyone's welcome to use it. Uh, and oh, let me zoom in. <laughs> Here we go. Is that better? Much better. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, so this particular session was how long was it? 10 minutes. And here, uh, Jordan, why don't you walk us through it? So let's, I uh, always do 10 minutes. So that's always the same. Um, this is the most important part for me is knowing beforehand when I'm going to practice. Right. So, uh, the, usually the day before I will pick a skill. 
So when I go to the practice, I already know what I'm going to do. So for this day, it was the EFT skill of empathic evocations. And when I did the EFT skills, I was just working through the chapters. So I, I, pro I don't know what the chapter was before this, but I'd finished that chapter and I went to the next chapter and like there was no question about what I was going to, to, to do next. Um, and so then, you know, I picked this based on my theory of change, right? Which back to what we're talking about, I was really focusing on the therapeutic alliance. So that's why this skill really fit well with that. And I used the prompts from the book. Um, and then I did the skill. I probably, I typically only make it through. So in the, in the books, there's the, the prompts are chunked into chunks of, of about five. And so I probably only made it through one of those chunks. This is probably, I don't know which one, but let's just say it's the big, it's the beginning chunk, right? So, so those, the, those, those first five prompts, because I'm reading the prompt, I'm watching my video, I'm comparing my response, and then I do it again. Um, and that usually gets me through two reps of a chunk of prompts. So five or so. Um, and then I give my response. I, I just, you know, talk about what was helpful and what, what wasn't helpful. Um, I'm going to scroll down here so you can talk yeah. about the rest of this. It was helpful to do it again. Oh, repetition is so big for me. Um, it helps just to make it feel really, really smooth and really easy. I think the hardest part with learning any new skill is sort of like the cognitive load, right? How much just taking in all of the new stuff. So even on skills that are relatively easy, doing it until it felt really, until I didn't have to think about it was really helpful for me. Um, you, and then checking my responses at the back of the book, yeah. Can I just pause you, Jordan? Yeah. Well, you know, this really strikes me because something we haven't talked about yet is you weren't getting feedback. You didn't have a coach there giving you performance feedback. Right. Which, you know, ideally in deliberate practice, we want, you know, feedback while we're doing it. 100%. Uh, but you were benefiting from just using the sample responses and your own exposure or like, can you just talk about that for a moment? Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that I would probably not coach people on. I think in general, we are bad self-monitors. Um, but that was really helpful for me. My way of thinking about that was when you sort of work with some of the models that I, I worked with, they are very sort of into the nuances and weeds. I think almost too much so. But that definitely toned my tuned my ear to think about like what are the micro moves? What are the micro moves? Yeah. Um, and so I think like that's why it was second nature second nature for me to record myself. So there's this yeah. famous uh, swim coach Terry Laughlin, who. I really sort of followed his, his sort of progress before I knew about DP. And um, he does a beautiful job of breaking down like swim strokes. And he talks about how you have to record yourself. And he was having a conversation with a, a guy named Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss was saying 100%. Tim Ferriss was training for the world championship in like tango or something like that. And he was, and he talks about how his view of what he was doing was totally different. Wow. 
from what he actually saw on his tapes when he yeah. recorded himself. So uh, for me, it's the recording of it, it's recording yourself, and then the the skill criteria that gives you the feedback. Right. You can. I would benefit from a coach, one hundred percent. Like I'd need a coach, but that really, I think you, that could take you a long way. You can get a lot of juice out of the recording and the skill feedback. Yeah. Uh, or skill criteria. And so speaking of skill criteria, you know, I was really interested how you put it here. The skill is too broad. Uh, <laughs> can you, can you describe that? Now that I'm saying, I shouldn't have put this. I shouldn't have put Why? this. Why? I, I think this, no, I think this is really important because so, you now have seen a lot of different skills and you've tried them. So, you know, your perspective skills. on this matters a lot. So just tell people yes. what you mean by that. So I think for this skill, they mentioned like three or four different ways to do the skill. So you can do an uh, evocation through what's called a proxy voice, right? So you can speak for the client. You can also do one through basically a, like a form of reflection, right? And each of those are different skills. But when you would read through the, the prompts and read through the, um, the answers in the back, the answers in the back, like they would, they would do or all sorts of different, like they, they might have a parts response. They might have a proxy voice response. They might have a, uh, an empathic reflection type response. And like, those are all different skills. Um, and, I, you know, I think you really only need two of those, right? Like, I think as a person, if you did well on proxy voice and parts work, or, you know, you, you can pick any two that you want to do to do the skill. But yeah, I, I thought it was, that's my thought. Yeah, this is something Alex and I are uh, kind of continually wrestling uh, with our co-authors on the books is we try to get the skills to be as narrow as possible. And typically the uh, co-authors want the skills to be more broad, so it covers more material. And so I, I was tickled to see how you think it's too broad. Um, I just think it's too confusing. I mean, I think it was fine for me, but I think for a new person, it's too confusing. Yeah, there's too a confusing. lot of more options is not more value. More options is not more value, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I was, I was curious to see that. And uh, can you just speak to the, what you wrote at the bottom? What did you learn about yourself? Yeah. So I just realized I'm a very cognitive sort of person. And I realized that's sort of what I was doing. Um, and being a little bit too literal in my reflections. Um, and there's some nuance here, right? I think, so if you read the actual thing, it says, in an EFT prompt, they might say something about how she said this was like a knife in the back. And my prompts, my responses would be like, she's just needling you. And I think that the implication between those two things can be very, very different. One is almost a statement of like fact. And one is speaking to the client's perception of the, of the, of the incident. And I thought that level of nuance was very, very smooth and very, very clean. Interesting. Um, especially for someone like me who's training across models. Right. And so, like, in if I believe motivational in interviewing, that what I say and how I reflect ultimately influences the client's sense of reality, I don't know if I want to see the idea that you are actually being needled. But I do want to validate your experience of the pain that it that it caused you so, and so i just thought that they were much more like i thought some of those prompts were much more clean and, and like how they or some of those examples were much more clean and and how they did that 
So I just want to emphasize that you're getting all this out of 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Right? I just want to really emphasize that. Because uh, sometimes, it, you know, practice can get built up in our mind as this huge thing. You know, this was just 10 minutes. And it sounds like also, Jordan, you're saying the repetition was 100%. really key, you know, within the 10 minutes and then 10 minutes multiple times a week, just over time. I mean, you know, most of my skills, I think, probably say, uh, like, what did you learn about yourself? It's probably blank. Some of that's because early on in the skill, I'm just trying to learn the skill. Mm. So I don't even know what it says about me. Right. Right. But if I get four or five days in. Right. And I think, why am I missing the skill still? Why does my response feel different than the skill criteria or than the example responses? Right. That's when you can really piece out the, the like nuance. And honestly, you know, we talk about how people don't want to do deliberate practice. Sometimes that was the best part. Cause I could say, I don't know why I'm screwing this up right now. So instead of me actually like doing this, you know, weird practice of speaking to this camera, I can just figure out why I'm off. <laughs> like, why am I, you know, and that's, and that's, right. that's my 10 minutes, you know? Right. Uh, there were a few that I think I sent you were where I created a skill. Cause I, I think I did a, I did a, I did some uh, skills on Alliance ruptures. Yeah. Um, and I sent you sort of the documents that I had created in order to, create this skill. And that was almost fun because I didn't have to do the DP, but it's still a way of like honing your craft and getting better and staying in the, the, the DP right. world. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I just looked through the, the ones we have here are, you know, let's do, let's look at another one. Uh, these are all from the books. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you see what I just flipped to the, the, the new page to that show? Yeah. Maybe you can walk us through this one, Jordan. Yeah. Um, so here's the other thing, right? When we think about the, the therapeutic alliance, we tend to, at least in my circles, we tend to overemphasize the relationship. And the other side of the alliance is, are you working on what the client wants to work on? Right? Uh, it's about the goals and the tasks of therapy. And so after I sort of did a long stint doing just sort of active listening skills to meet the first part of the alliance, the, the like bond part, I really focused on like, what is the problem the client wants me to solve and what do they want me to do about it? And that's why I looked at across the different models, like what was their way of getting into solving the problem or addressing the problem or intervening, mm -hmm. however they conceptualized it. So that's mm -hmm. why these DBT skills to me were like really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So my, my, my learning goal was problem uh, assessment. Um, Cause I wanted to get a sense of like how the client is thinking about the problem and what they expect out of me. So that's sort of like the first little box here. Go ahead and scroll down, Tony. Um, so this was a big shift for me. So, uh, in my training as a, as a master's and in my doc program, you were taught to ask these questions to assess the sequence of the problem. And honestly, even when I went through, I did a lot of EFT training for the couples, 
I, I realized that I would often get um, responses that were not helpful. So I might ask a client, like, how does that land for you? And they'd be like, well, I feel like, you know, this happened and this happened. I'm like, that's not what I'm asking. And so I went through the supervision training on DP and they have this beautiful question, which honestly changed. I mean, it's like a simple question, but it changed a lot. And it's, can you tell me what was said or done? Right. Can you tell me what was said or done um, by the client? And I started using that in my practice when, when I'm trying to track what is happening and what's the problem. I would ask, can you tell me what your partner said or did that led to you feeling that way? Mm-hmm. And it was a much more pinpointed way to like get at mm-hmm. what is happening in outside of the room. But the EF, the uh, DBT book, I felt like had this beautiful question that brings that home on an internal level. Cause it's not just what happens external, right? It's what's happening inside of you. Um, and so that was like a huge learning lesson for me of just learning like to say, can you tell me what you thought or felt when that happened? Mm. Um, Cause when you say, how did that land for you? Like it's so broad and I know what I mean, but the client doesn't know what I mean. And so mm. it, it really clarified that mm. for me. And so, so part of what you're getting here is just specific ideas for interventions. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. Uh, and it, it's, um, uh, here, go, go ahead and, and talk us through the bottom part here. Yeah, it's strange. I really have been taught that all behavior makes all behavior and emotion makes sense. So working this way feels foreign, but they really believe that some emotions and thoughts are maladaptive and need to be called out. I agree with them, but I don't think I actually act this way in session. So when I was in my master's program, I was trained in sort of classic family therapy theory. And they said, everything makes sense in context. And um, reading through the DBT book, which honestly was my first experience, my my first exposure to DBT, their underlying assumptions are totally different. And it really made me think about my own underlying assumptions. And uh, I found myself actually agreeing Hmm. with them, right? Like, like I have experiences in my life where my wife says something to me and I know that I overreact. Hmm. And when people would validate that, I'd be like, no, hmm. like I'm doing something wrong right. and I want to stop it. <laughs> like, don't validate it. this. Yeah, yeah, like I'm not trying to yell at my, right. not yell at my right. wife. Or I don't want to do that. Like, no. Right. And I realized that clients probably feel the same way. So I'm actually writing a post on this on uh, how they have this whole section about validating the invalid in the mm. DBT book. And I'm like, that is gold. Mm. That is gold. So I, I just want to highlight this, Jordan, because I mean, what you're saying is you have not had previous training in DBT. In fact, your no. your previous training was kind of the, you know, more person-centered or yeah. humanistic or what have you. And, uh, you know, you could read a book of DBT theory and the book of DBT theory could be like, you know, we, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it might just, you might just be like, oh, that doesn't sound correct. But doing the exercises actually lets you almost it, it, like learn the theory experientially. And this yeah. is what we see with our trainees is when a trainee comes to us and says, okay, you know, I have a client with OCD. I have to learn an OCD protocol. 
will typically be like, okay, here's very brief overview of the protocol. And then we're going to jump into doing it step by step. And as they do it, they're like, oh, I get it now. That yeah. it, it, this material like really is best learned experientially. And the theory can almost come from the rehearsal rather than the other way around. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big theory guy. Uh, I, I can shoot the shit on theory probably too much, honestly. Um, and I do think, I mean, I, I think I have a better understanding of what, if I spend as much time in a, in a DBT training as I have learning the skills, I would not, it would not have helped me nearly as much. Now, I definitely want to go to a DBT training now. Now, yeah. And I think it would be very helpful for me to learn more about DBT. Like it really has piqued my interest in it. Yeah. But from like an actual, like, what do I do in the room standpoint? How do I find this useful? I think what would have happened was I would have went to a training. I would have thought, oh, that's really cool. And then I would have forgot about it like on Monday. Or I would have tried something that I learned and it wouldn't have made sense and it would have fallen apart. Like, I, I, I mean, I think part of it also is, Tony, I'm solving a problem for yeah. myself. Right. I'm looking at the skill and I already right. know where I'm, where I'm going to put right. it. Like, you know, so it, that part makes sense. You don't have to sell me on it. Right. Yeah. This is grounded in you trying to uh, reduce uh, first session dropouts, which yeah. is a very clear identified. Scott Miller would love this because and Daryl Chow, because they talk about grounding deliberate practice in an assessment of the therapist's uh, skills. Yeah. 100%. And so it's it's not this abstract kind of thing you're trying to learn at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, you know, there. Let's see. There, I've got a few things. I, I want, I'm mindful of time, but a few things I want to make sure to ask you. First of all, what were ways that deliberate practice was not helpful, uh, or things it wasn't able to help you with? Yeah. So I'm gonna say this, and this is, I mean, I love you, man, but I'm gonna disagree with you on some stuff you said. <laughs> I don't think it's helpful for individual clients, really. Um, wait, I think it helps you. As wait, a, what do you mean? What do you say? What you mean by that more? Yeah, like uh, you know, I think we've been in trainings before, and you've been like, "This is how you help." Like with our last supervision training, you sort of mentioned like practicing skills that help with a certain client. And ah. I think that I think that that I think that the skills are too micro nuanced mm. to help with a certain specific individual client. Because by the time you learn one micro skill and you need a second micro skill to follow up right. and a third, like right. the client might have dropped out or right. but it does help you with that type of client and your inability right. with a certain type of issue. So like agenda setting, I think across the map for me is much better now. But I've wow. had num you know, numerous clients who've probably not benefited at all from my agenda setting. Right. Like <laughs> just, you know. I mean, that's really interesting. Uh, and so what you're saying is you're kind of building a skill set. Uh, you're building your, like the depth and breadth of your skills rather than solving a problem for a particular client. Is 100%, that right? 100%, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. that's an interesting uh, debate. I'd love maybe someday we could hold a panel on that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a really interesting question is where, where is deliberate practice most effective? 
uh, you know, in, in these different domains. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, I hadn't actually thought about that before, Jordan. That's a really, yeah. now, I mean, something to consider here is the way you're doing it is from the books rather than getting supervision on your client videos. Fair enough. Yeah. And so, uh, it, you know, that might also, that that's a variable at play here, but, but that, sure. you know, Hopefully someday we can sure. have a, a, a panel of folks uh, yeah. talk about that. What, how else was it not helpful or limited in helpfulness? I think the other thing, which I'm still trying to figure out, is it wasn't helpful in sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but like macro or bigger interventions, right? So like- What does that mean? Yeah, so like- Say that you do EMDR, right? There are a set of skills that you can use and you can sort of stack in order, in order to become better at um, like active listening and therapeutic alliance and setting the agenda. But for the actual, what they would call intervention, like the mm -hmm. reps, right? Like that's sort of like a transition period. Or in the, in the EFT book, they, they talk about the, the empathy skills. Yeah. And then you intervene to like doing like chair, chair yeah. work, right? For my interventions, uh, I haven't seen any. I, I, I have never applied it to that. And I feel like the interventions are so, like there's so many micro skills, right? Mm -hmm. Setting up into chair work, then evoking the emotion yeah. while you're doing the into chair work, keeping the client yeah. in that and working with different, like all, like yeah. there's so many different things that I don't know if you could teach it you could probably teach it in like an apprenticeship type thing, maybe. Mm. But I don't think you could teach it on like a one hour a week sort of deal. It's just, mm. I mean, it's just so many things that have to happen back to back. It's too big. It's too many I think variables. it would be too big. Yeah. But the weird part for me is that, I mean, on terms of like the three big metrics, right? Dropout, um, joint termination, and then we'll have another one, which is a client generated, generated right. waitlist. I've still seen like massive improvements. I mean, yeah. even my number of sessions, my average client comes for 20 sessions now, whereas before it was like four or five. I mean, it's just, wow. So, I mean, and you can wow. argue that there's dependency created in that. And that's a whole nother argument, but like it's in terms of like, wow. the like I, metrics, like it's a, it's a night and day. I mean, the psychotherapy outcome research, I think shows pretty conclusively that the, you know, the gains from therapy definitely improve, you know, be, you know, over the number of sessions, I think it's at like session 26 or something, they yeah. start plateauing on average. So you're still below that. So yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't raise yeah. the question of dependency until after 26 or something. I mean, of course, it's, right. you know, depends on the person, but right, um, right, right. Vesla uh, put something interesting in the chat. She said, maybe deliver practice needs a coach to be really helpful to specific clients. Uh, and yeah, that could very well be, and it could be you. Now you didn't. None of this was with a coach, Jordan, right? Looking none at of this was. No, I'm. Yeah. I'm still. You know, Vidar doesn't know, but I'm like still one day gonna reach out to him and, <laughs> and say me. You know, I could be his his protege or something. So, uh, yeah, I have this fantasy of someday getting us all together and doing a conference where we talk about the different you know, formats of deliver practice. Because what you're describing here, Jordan, is a particular format. What I love about your format, it is so accessible. 
uh, and just so like humane in terms of like, like you're not spending a huge amount of money. You're not, not a huge amount of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's just very accessible. So, yeah. um, it had to be, you know, I think that's the weird thing. I'm, yeah. When I was studying the stuff, I was looking at people who sort of hack human experience. Yeah. Right? People like, like, like Tim Ferriss, who says you can work four hours a week and yeah. you know, whatever. And I was yeah. also looking at people who, uh, were athletes and high performers. Yeah. And, you know, they don't have families. They don't have kids. I had a yeah. friend say this to me. She said, I have to be able to do this job when I'm grieving. And it really struck wow. me. I'm like, yeah. we are not yeah. athletes. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I was an athlete in, in like high school and yeah. I went to nationals and like I ran. So I think that was like made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But we're not in this field. Yeah. I don't think we can't train that way. How old are your Jordan? Do you feel comfortable telling everyone how old your kids are? I have three kids under four. (laughs) Yeah. He's a very active father. Very active, very engaged father. So those of (laughs) David, you said bless you. (laughs) God bless you, man. (laughs) I need it. I need it. Any more blessings you want to give, I'll take it all. This should be taken in that context. Everything you're hearing was done within the context of that. So, uh, so Jordan, we're we're running out of time here. Uh, Can do you have any advice uh, for folks here, and also just people who are totally new to deliver practice? You know, who are like, okay, I want to try this. You know, what would you tell them? I would say the other thing that's been really important for me is to do it first thing. So I see my first client at about nine, my time. And if I don't do it before nine, man, it's not going to happen. It's like, it's like working out. You know, I think everyone has that perfect time for working out, whether you're running or lifting or whatever. And if you don't do it at that time, like you are SOL, like you're just yeah. not going to do it. Um, so I think the other thing that I would say for myself is back to having that, having that stack right, of emails that I'm scrolling through. It takes yeah. two minutes to scroll through to get to the bottom. That is motivating yeah. for, for me. Um, knowing that, you know, Tony will occasionally, like, send me, like, a smiley face and, hey, keep it up, and, like, that's really motivating. So having that sort of accountability, right? Sure. But I also think that the way we've done it has been really good as well. Like, I'm not trying to do it every day. It's more about the stack and the quantity over time than it is about, you know, not breaking the chain. Right. You know, um, and Tony's only been encouraging. He's never been like, you know, well, what about, you know, losing this skill or you're not doing this? Like, you know, he's just like, yeah, man, keep on going, you know, and that's been really good. Um, and I think the other thing is the time. I knew I could do 10 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And definitely when I started out, I was thinking, 20 minutes, an hour. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Make it manageable. Yeah. Uh, and so those for me have been the three big things. Um, but this is the question that I'm trying to figure out, honestly, Tony, for other people. Yeah. Um, I've been reading a lot about gamification. Yeah. Which is all about designing systems so that they're inherently motivating for people. Yeah. So that's my next deep dive that I'll be blogging a lot about as we, as I learn more about that. Um, but those are the, the three things for me, having a, some sort of person you, you, who can, who can encourage you 
keeping it manageable so that it's not overwhelming for you. Yeah. Um, and I forget the other thing, but you know. Anyone oh. have any questions uh, for Jordan? We got to wrap up in a minute. Mm. And, and Jordan, maybe you could put in the chat uh, how people can contact you. If Yeah, if yeah, yeah. And, and you had a slide you wanted to show. Yeah, right? can I share my uh, screen? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I don't think I have it on here. You have to make me a host, maybe? Oh. Here we oh. go. I, I found it. Here we okay. go. Share screen. So, um, look, first off, I blog about how to build a great practice. One part of that is the practice part. So doing your deliberate practice and that sort of stuff. The other part is about, uh, you know, getting clients, being successful as a therapist, all that sort of stuff. So that's my blog. If you're interested in that sort of stuff, you can find me at jordanthecounselor.com. It's pretty straight straightforward. Um, and then in January, Tony and I are giving a training on deliberate practice for multi- cultural therapy. And you can register for that at centiocc.org backslash webinar dash registration. Please come. We'd love to have you. Um, I'm really look, looking forward, forward to that as well. And we have the book coming out too, right? The Deliberate Practice for Multicultural Therapy book coming out. It's in press. So what, the end of next year, Tony? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So if you subscribe to uh, me or if you are on Tony's email list, you'll get notifications about both of those things. So yeah, please feel free to follow up. Um, thank you for that. Something uh, I would just like to emphasize as we wrap up here is, you know, it, it went unsaid, but I want to say it, Jordan, your, uh, your openness, your humbleness, your non-defensiveness. But you started you. by saying like, whoa, I have this problem with dropouts. I want to address this. Like, you know, your, you know, your non-defensiveness and openness is kind of the root, the bedrock on which all of this is standing. Right. Your, your willingness to like, look at your own mistakes, look at your own limits, be like, whoa, I'm not so good at this skill. You know, like I remember seeing one of your diary forms. You're like, oh, I, I'm not so good at this. I need to keep doing this. And, you know, that. I, I just want to really highlight it because it's kind of the subtext in everything you're saying. It's just embedded in everything you're saying is uh, a non-defensiveness. I think that's really inspiring. So thank you. Jordan, are you still here? I think I I uh, I, I shocked him with too much praise in this video self person. <laughs> um We'll, we'll see if he comes back here in a second. Uh, I, oh, <laughs> I to here. too much praise. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with him later. I want to say thank you to everyone for joining us. Uh, I, I'd love to do more of these. And, you know, if, if you all want to, host, I know there's a number of people here who do deliver practice or coaches and have, you know, and maybe we can have more of these where people, it's almost like case studies in deliver practice. And we find out the different ways. I thought it was really fascinating what Jordan said about like, this does not help with individual clients. Like, you know, that's really interesting to hear and to kind of find the end, the boundaries and the edges about what helps and with whom and everything. So uh, feel free to email any questions, feedback, and I guess I'll see you at the next one.
So thanks everyone. Thank you, Tony.